And thanks for joining us now on KVCR for KVC Arts, arts and entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. She Why I'm a hairy guy I'm hairy high and low The Cowsills were the real-life inspiration for the Partridge family. And not too long ago, Bob Cowsill and I spoke about the early days and the hits, of course. On this edition of the program, a couple of albums from when they were no longer children and word of a new one in the near future. First, though, briefly, back to hair. mention hair and one of the cool things about hair well beyond the fact that if I understand it correctly that Carl Reiner sent it to you and, and you hadn't even heard it I mean you the, the family that is and so no. that was interesting itself but for the recording this is maybe me geeking out or just the fact that the, the unique situations you guys were actually on a very special at the time 16 track recorder that folks like Jimi Hendrix and Frank Zappa would be pining to use as children or teenagers at this point. Were you really in awe of that? Oh my God, we're using the thing that Hendrix did or that Zappa did. Yes, we were absolutely in awe of it and we were grateful to walk into it for those two days because we had been recording on eight track recorders and four before that, but eight track was hard enough especially working with big productions you've got eight tracks you're going to fill four or five of them then you got to mix down to open up more tracks and mix down this 16 track gave us the ability to experiment you could branch out okay there's a great article on the recording up here in mix magazine that will cover some of these interesting issues but we did bump into the very first 16 track it was heaven that i do remember and i was 19 at the time so that was a specific, what do we have here? And we knew we could keep recording the bass and drums on all their tracks and the vocals and keep going without mixing down. You always had to pre-mix as you went. All of us did it. Okay, Beatles, on down, guys. Everyone did it. You had to think ahead when you're doing your records or you're going to lose parts or it's hard to describe, but you know what I mean. I mean. You just only have so much space to put your music and you've got a big arrangement to put it in. So you have to work. And that was a big deal. You're right. I'm glad you're mature enough or well-read enough to recognize and appreciate that that's oh, really cool. Oh, I can yeah. still see those meters Ooh. on the front of this thing, okay? Not eight meters, the little meters where if you're in the red, if it's too loud, these yep. machines had them all over it. And all you did was count them, and you knew what size your machine was. <laughs> wow. So we had the luxury and needed it, by the way, because we got into some vocal stacking in those two days it was great. It was great. We just get to keep going and build some pretty interesting vocals. Interesting. Yeah, it was layered and layered, and folks can yeah. read about that. One question about the slight change in the lyrics that the network, I believe, was worried about some of the lyrics may be objectionable in some areas of the United States. So your That's version true, yeah. ended up dropping the last verse and simply repeating the first. 
my question is this one. <laughs> Had you already learned it when they made this change and there's like, oh, gosh, we have to relearn it? You know what I'm saying there? You learned it from the yeah. record or the original soundtrack, I think. It was brought to our attention immediately, and here's why. This was always intended to just be lip-synced on the television special, okay? And they just thought it was bad enough the national anthem was in there, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, they, they just got over that part. But it was worse that we were going to talk about Jesus and how he wore his hair and about his relationship with his mother. And they, yeah. NBC was, it was just not going to have it, <laughs> you know? Now, our attitude was like, we don't care. You know, we're just doing this NBC special. You got a problem with the third verse? Hey, I think we came up with doing the first verse over. Oh. You know, it's a quick fix for them, you know. And well, we'll just do the first verse over. It's okay. Look, no one is thinking. No one is at all understanding what we're involved with. We don't know we're going to be part of a big movement where other hit records from this musical are going to put everybody into the top ten. We don't even know for two days... And when we left that studio that we even had recorded our next hit record because it wasn't going to be till I think that was like April. The following May is going to be when it's coming out with that TV special. This thing sat in the tank. MGM says they don't like it. Well, oh, they don't like it. Okay, we'll get something else sometime <laughs> soon, I guess. You know, we're on tour. We don't care. But we do care. But we're young, so we're not affected by, oh, they don't like the third verse. Okay, fine. We'll do the first verse. <laughs> you know, we're, yeah. we're not these artists. Like, now, what do you mean? We must talk of Jesus. How could you strip this song of such an identifiable third verse? We're not that. Mm-hmm. We're just getting it done there. Get to San Francisco and Carl Reiner and Michelle Lee and this TV special and have done our job. And that's what we did. So everything that was going to follow was like, holy mackerel, look what we were doing at the time without even knowing it. <laughs> that's beautiful. That and kind of thing. Folks who haven't just soaked in the hair soundtrack like I have, the, the verse we're talking about quite simply is... Holy Mary loved her son. Why don't my mother love me? Hair. And it's as simple as that. That's what was dropped. (laughs) On to Cocaine Drain in just a second, but I just thought of something regarding your band, or maybe I'm not sure if you're still doing it. We're talking about the Bob Cowsill band here. Oh, that was my cover band, yeah. I had a very good cover band for 28 years. Yeah, and now one of the notable things about this is that, again, I think I'm quoting you, saying, we are not reinventing songs. We played them the way they were recorded And so when you're doing shows like the Happy Together Tour, of course your set is truncated and you have to get the hits out there. Then, of course, Mm -hmm. with the Bob Council Band, you were known for the precise recreations. And so I guess what I'm curious about is that when you end up on things like the Happy Together Tour or some, say, Malt Chop Cruise Mm -hmm. or whatever, do you see the rest of the lineup and then you just start crossing things off the set list? You could easily be on... Here, for example, I just got off the phone with Tom Garrett a moment ago, so I could see you guys maybe doing Spooky, but then find out, okay, Classics 4 are on the lineup. That one's off the list. That's, I think, what I'm asking about. Right, right, right. You are only... Look, the Happy Together Tour is unique in and of itself in that, number one, you can only do your hits. You are going to do the same four or five songs Mm. every night for the whole summer, every summer. And if you can't handle that as an artist then don't handle it. That's fine. That's a unique experience. And here's what the Happy Together is really paying attention to. And you mentioned it before, and people use the word loosely, the arrangements. Mm -hmm. Okay. You don't mess with these arrangements. 
because people, the arrangements were hit too, okay? They really were. And the arrangements to some of these hits are more important than the song itself in terms of what was in the formula that made everyone love this song so much that 50 years later, we want to hear people sing it still. But right, I got on and there's Mark Lindsay. I used to sing kicks all the time and good thing. I sang all these people's songs with the cover band. And even to meet them now is like, oh, my God. I told Mark, I said, Mark, I think I sang kicks more than you. <laughs> because, I, you know, I'm working four nights a week, right? He's not. And I'm singing kicks every night. So I, I love feeling that about some of these groups. Because, it, look, it's the power of the songs and their arrangements. That's why the tour is going. Yep. That's why we're still here. Moving on to Cocaine Drain, just touching lightly on it. This was recorded and then shelved for a number of years. Then you came out and reproduced it from the original acetates. Please talk to me about the story of this one. One, why it was shelved, and then how you ended up bringing it back out, please. Well, the cocaine drain, and by the way, we're signing with Omnivore Recordings right now. September 30th, Rhythm of the World, new 11 songs comes out. But over the next two years, they are going to be re-releasing and releasing for the first time, really, Global and the Cocaine Drain album. The Cocaine Drain, this was an album focused around our sister Susan, who is a great singer. And every song on the Cocaine Drain album is sung by our sister Susan. We met into some great writers with Buzzy Featon and Steve Ferguson and Wendy Waldman. And the real thing about Cocaine Drain album was we met a man called Chuck Plotkin, who was a producer for Electra Asylum who took us into the studio and taught us basically in the late 70s how to make this record and produced it. What happened was Chuck was kind of kidnapped from us by first Bob Dylan and then permanently by Bruce Springsteen. And we understood at the time we were gonna release Cocaine Drain, Bruce was trying to decide about Darkness on the Edge of Town and no one could mix it. And he found Chuck and Chuck could mix it. And then they fell in love, you know, and now Chuck's gonna produce Bruce Springsteen, which means he's moving to New York. It's a career move. And the Cocaine Drain album, it was sequenced and mastered by Val Garay even, I think, and it was ready to go, and it never went. All we did later, years later, with both of our albums that we put out ourselves, Global and the Cocaine Drain album, was when the internet came about and you could hang your own shingle. Now, the challenge is how do you get people to your shingle? I get that, but you could (laughs) hang it real quick and say, whoa, we have a record out. And so we packaged Global, we packaged Cocaine Drain, Because of our history, this is part of our history, folks. These are two albums we made. Yes, you probably haven't heard them, but Global actually sold 3,000 copies all over 50 states and 23 countries. It's distribution, which is compelling. The volume isn't, but it shows you if you can get to the volume, right? So these are pieces of work we're proud of in our life. Our sister did a great job on Cocaine Drain. Paul and I were writing for her specifically in mind, with her in mind. Ah. And it was a great experience, a great recording experience. The first thing we did post-Cow Sills, you know, and we're quite proud of it. And you're right, it was never released. You said that you were writing with her in mind, and so Mm -hmm. were you also writing with it in mind for her to be doing the lead vocals? Absolutely. At the time, she was just it. I mean, you can hear it. Oh, yeah. She was really on there. I mean, she was 20 years old, I think, during Cocaine Drain album recordings. And the whole mood of that record, it was just so her. And the writing and the songs, 
yeah, it's one of the few times in my life. Usually, you sit down to write a song because the song came into you, or the melody did, or however it works, whatever your process is, and you realize I've got to write this song because here it is. Okay, with Cocaine Drain, I will say it's the first time I kind of sat down thinking about Susan and her voice and going, you know, we got this really, really gem of a lead singer here. At the time, that's how we felt, and it's our sister. And that was our focus, you know. It was great. It was a great time. You're listening to KVC Arts on 91.9 KVCR. I'm David Fleming in conversation with Bob Cowsill in the area not too long ago as part of the Happy Together Tour. Just ahead the album Global, and a look at several specific tunes and guest artists as KVC Arts continues. If I understand it correctly, you guys got together, that is, you and your sister and brothers had gotten together circa 1990, and you were going to be hitting the oldie circuit, but then you ended up concentrating on your own stuff, and this is what resulted in Global. And so a couple of... That's true, yeah. Well, you know, at the time, Dick Clark... Uh, the Happy Together Tour was going to be a model that was on its way in the future. But at the time, Dick Clark and his Caravan of Stars was mm-hmm. the summer tour, right, of yeah. the oldies. And very tempting. You're happy with your legacy. If you had three or four hits, you're so grateful. You know, back then, most of us had a good five years, maybe three, four, five hits, and called it a career in terms of chart-topping hits, you know. Sure. So when you get to the point where you just are an artist for artist's sake – no one's going to sign the councils in the 90s, okay? And we were usually a step away from being a little out of what's going on anyway. We were a disco before disco and this before that, and we could never quite lock up with what was going on at the time. But if you're a band, you're who you are. What are you going to do? Okay, you're out of step. Well, that's the way that goes. But Global came out in the 90s. Again, this was now progressing to the four of us. John is now with us and Paul and Susan and myself. And we had written these songs. Dick Clark... I will say that we were raising children and families, so it's not like it was easy to just turn around and say, oh, listen, we're going to go sit on buses for a month. Uh, Good luck with the kids. Are they going to summer school? I don't remember. We can't do that, you know. (laughs) So, And plus, do we want to, at the time, we erroneously thought we would be labeled as a quote-unquote oldies group because we had never done anything. We were under the radar. So we were going to come above the radar in what capacity? Well, you had to think about that. And we had a lot of songs to record, and we were young still. And, you know, we took the meeting with Dick Clark, and even he said, to be true to yourself, even he said, if you stay with this, whatever you decide, and you don't give up, you'll be fine. It was his advice to us, especially when we turned him down. He was fine with that. He understood. And we hit the studio and came out with Global. Look, Global was the greatest record we ever made until the one we just made called Rhythm of the World because we don't go in often, but when we go in, we're ready and we've got the songs. And that's just the way that is. And it doesn't matter that they're not million sellers and you don't know them. It matters that songs that we write get recorded in the best way that we know possible and then we can stand and be proud of that. And then if it's never signed or heard from, that doesn't diminish that, okay? You need to know this. People need to know that the ones who do this for... The reason that this is what you do are comfortable, even if you don't have a hit record, okay? It's okay. Yeah, we all want hit records. We want to be Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles, but not everyone could be Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles, okay, or the Beach Boys. 
Yeah. You're going to get your five or six, maybe. You're going to have a good career and maybe a second career, which is what we're shooting for now. But you got to be real about this business, you know, and be happy with what you've done and be grateful for it. You know, I didn't know about Rhythm of the World. I, I can't wait for that one to come out and really, really soak uh, it in and do a, a Let me tell track. you, we've been working, look, six years. Everyone gets to go minus two because of COVID, okay, oh, yep, four years. Yep, <laughs> but yep. we did mix it with Frank Filippetti during the shutdown. So <laughs> it's mixed, it's ready to go. It's 11 new songs. And then we actually recorded 11 acapella songs, which will be oh. out as an album on Black Friday of Thanksgiving next year with bonus tracks from different things we've done in our past. There's a lot going on with us. We have a Christmas show in Branson for six weeks, November 1st through December 9th at the Andy Williams Moon River Theater. We're going to do every night. That's going to remind us of the craft music hall Christmas specials we used to do. Wow. Uh, so the castles are alive and well, and we're having a good time, I'll tell you. I want to give you all the love inside. I want to show you what it feels like. But if you want it all and more, you got to cross that line. You mentioned that you guys were this before this and this before the on global on cross that line you had john stamos on the congas on this one was he uh did you have john stamos before he was john stamos well it depends on how you identify the timeline of john's career when we bumped into john remember he came from soap operas and yeah. full house now this is going to be full house here so he's got that going on our brother john has been in the beach boys and jan and dean John Stamos, that's where he met John Stamos through his association with the Beach Boys. And he was friends, friends. He just came down to the studio. And John came in down to the Fox and Hounds and drummed on with my cover band one night, John Stamos. He is an artist. There's a few of them. Joe Pesci's another one, by the Ooh, way. Yeah. But these are artists that, yeah, they made it as actors and made it big, right, as actors. But these guys wanted to be rock and rollers and have a band, and John wanted to be a drummer. Joe Pesci wanted to be a, have a rock band and make recordings and have a tour and all that stuff. And Stamos was that way. So, yeah, he came down to the studio, and John, come on. You know, it's that kind of thing. Nice. He's a musician. Oh, beautiful. And he played Kong, and I loved it. He sounded great on him. And believe me, my brother John knows John more than me. I'm kind of producing the session. I'm going, oh, Stamos plays... Uh, percussion huh and in my head I'm going I'll be the judge of that you know (laughs) he was great you know (laughs) and he hooks it up and it's like oh it's a great experience oh truly and he doesn't dominate the song either it's blended it's mixed right in he was one of any southern textures would have been um, yeah as my percussion he was a cool dude
there's another guest artist, for lack of a better way of calling it. This is also on Global, the song Under the Gun. This one has Vicki Peterson on backing vocals. People would know her mainly from the Bengals. Was Vicky a connection through Susan, I believe, with the Continental Drifters? Am I thinking of this right? Yeah, back then, because Peter Holsapple, he's on there too. Yeah, these are Continental Drifter connections from Susan's because certainly John's not married to Vicky yet. Anyway, yeah, it's again, Vicky's in the booth, you know, and Susan's got this under the gun going, and I thought, man, that sounds good together, which they do. And you can't help but ask. Oh, I looked at my, oh, there's Vicky Peterson. I want to say go out and do a harmony on the verse with Susan. Hey, would you do that? And she says yes, and I go, I love this. <laughs> you know, when you get those unexpected moments that really elevate a session even, or a song, for instance, and you do remember those, they're very special. But a lot of them just happen because people happen to be there. Or it's not planned, you know. Oh, that makes it even more cool. That's really nice. Uh-huh. Something you mentioned earlier almost made me want to go right to this, but now, Some Good Years. By title alone, and the fact that it closes the album, I really, without hearing it, predicted this to be a, a reminiscent kind of song, but what I didn't expect is that oh, maybe the main thrust of it is not only are you saying that we had some good years, but you're pretty much saying that no matter what else went on, the good shines through. Have I hit the mark yes. on that one? Yes, you hit the mark 100%. And the point is, look, even our family, some of the memories are very rough. And they don't diminish in roughness over years. Some of the memories, some of them, there's harshes that they happened yesterday. But what does happen as you get away from things like that, there's always two columns. There's the good column and the bad column. And what we learned over time is you can always say the good column stuff, you know, and while you're complaining about the bad. It's the good that sticks with you. Yeah, you hated boot camp, but guess what? Most veterans talk about boot camp in a very wonderful way. Yep. <laughs> but if you got them at the time, they got it's the worst time of my life, you know? Oh, yeah. And they realize it's not the worst time of your life. Your brain is really good at focusing on the way it felt good to you, and you can carry that with you. That's true. You know, I have to say, I'm a Navy veteran myself, and so I just really related exactly to what you were saying. There was a lot <laughs> yeah. of some real BS that went on during uh, boot camp, but... You know what? I don't think of those times. I think of the friends, and that's really oh, interesting. There you point. go. Wow. Yeah, it's a real good thing the brain does for us. That yes. song is probably the biggest hit we never had <laughs> on the internet. People put their memorial videos to it, their high school mm. reunions to it. It's, oh, perfect. It's wonderful to see people use that song. Nice. Yeah.
One more on global, far away. This is, as we were talking about earlier, it just starts off with a hard, steady drive. And the song itself, this is a bit of a, ah, you're the perfect age for this. This is a bit of a Calgon take me away kind of song. What is that place in far away? Or maybe there isn't even a specific place, just please, Calgon take me away. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough song because Susan as the character in it, this is a very harsh situation. We even went back and forth to slaved over that one mm. as an artist. You know, if she sung it too hard, too harsh, it's like freaking in your face. It's like, back up, will you? Mm. But we left it there, and I wouldn't want to be the guy she's singing about. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I even told her while we are recording, I said, do you think you can... You know, you sound mad. <laughs> go, well, listen to the go, Well, what is she supposed to sound, right? Oh, that was a crazy thing. But, yeah, it had a good energy, that track, uh, far away. The basic message was, look, I'll be fine, but you're not going to be. But that was one tough lead vocal by her. She really was aggressive in that. Nice. So many of the songs on Global were written by you and Mary Jo. Far Away was written by you with Susan on lead vocals, as we mentioned earlier. You know, it's interesting. Far Away dropped in my lap. The songwriters will know what I mean by that. Now, some songs take a long, long time. I admit that. This song, Far Away, was written in probably 15 to 20 minutes, literally. Yeah, it was real quick. It was a rainstorm. It was a thundering outside that front door. I'll never forget it. And this thing just, just charged in on me. Now, I was in a writing mode. I would, if you get in the writing mode, some songs will come quicker. Parts of songs will come in. I've had parts come in and misuse them in one song. Oh, they're for this other song that came in later. Mm-hmm. I mean, crazy things like that happen, believe me. But Far Away, just as a memory, as a songwriter, was a song that just appeared. I was the door for that one, and it just came through. Beautiful. Seriously. Oh, wow. Nice. Do you by chance remember the first phrase or the coupling of words? Hey, this rhymes. This has to be worked in somehow. Do you remember the first? I had that first line and that B minor strum going. Ah, That's all I had. Perfect. I remember when your love was all that I'm just strumming that thing around the living room. But it was a hard strum, you know, like you say. And then it just took off. It just, you know, had that line and that strum and... uh, and I was even way up high on the B minor, up on the bar, which was unusual for me. I'd be a normal B minor, was going to be down the neck further toward yep. the left side. Then I did that high one for some reason, and that became the kind of groove of the song. For this edition of KVC Arts, it's been music from the Cowsills and conversation with Bob Cowsill. More at cowsill.com. Thanks again to Bob Cowsill and to Eva Mikhailovna for getting me in touch with Bob. Here at KVCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, Paulina Garcia, and with lots of editing and music gathering going on quietly in the background, Shireen Awad. Many past KVC Arts can be found through iTunes, NPR One, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and most past shows are at kvcrnews.org slash arts. Music beds and themes heard on KVC Arts composed and performed by Sean Longstreet. So thanks to Sean as well. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support, which you can do any time of the year. 
go to kvcrnews.org support. And thanks again.